Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 337 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Dietrich. Hi, everybody. And I'm Reuven Lerner. And this week, we are going to talk about, uh, as we've titled it, Breaking the Cycle of Indefinite Engagements. Um, and no, that does not ma- mean that you're waiting a really, really long time to get married. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So, uh, Eric, you came up with the topic. Why don't you introduce it to everyone? Sure, no problem. Um, this is something that's come up a number of times for me personally. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the genesis of it, but basically, I, you know, I would get this in writing about um, freelance-related topics on my blog. Um, people would ask about, I guess, the scope and duration of engagements, and I, I remember saying something offhandedly once, like calling um, indefinite engagements kind of a siren song. And a number of people wrote in and asked what I meant by that. So it led to this dialogue. And I get this question a lot where where I sort of say, if if you're building a business, freelance practice, um, you're a consultant, you know, whatever you're looking to do, that indefinitely long engagements that start to mimic employment is not a good business strategy over the long haul. And so a lot of people, especially coming from the salaried world, you know, challenge or push back on that, or or at least say, what do you mean? Why would you say that? Um, what's wrong with getting a client that's willing to give you business indefinitely? Like, why is that a problem? Um, so, you know, I can certainly explain my take on <laughs> why that's a problem. Um, and then, you know, talk about strategies for how to break out of that. Cause you know, if I explain to someone why I think that's the problem, that's the next logical thing that they ask is, Oh, okay. I believe you. Uh, so how do I stop doing that? Um, so I guess I could stop talking there and like, do you, do you perceive this as a problem? Are we in agreement on that, that it's not the best business strategy? Not the best business strategy. It's not a, it's not a terrible business strategy, but it sort of depends what your strategy is, right? And I, I think here we come to um, the sort of dividing line between what we could call consulting and contracting, which people often sort of conflate and, and they are very, very often sort of similar, but um, consulting, I sort of think of as you're an expert in doing something. And so you're being hired for your specific expertise. And when I say expertise, it's not programming. It's like knowing how to configure AWS in the most secure way for you know banks, something like that. It doesn't have to be that niche. But you know, you're the person to whom they can turn because it's not a commodity need. Whereas contracting means, okay, you're sort of a, a full-time employee here for a few months, then you're a full-time employee there for a few months. And there are people who do contracting for years and years and years, and they're very happy doing it. Um, I, I think we tend to encourage people on the show not to do that, not because it's bad, but because you can do better. 
but uh, because if you're not doing um, what 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 is it been called like enhancement? Uh, I forget exactly what the term is, but it's like sort of if you're being hired as a contractor and just adding another staff member, staff augmentation, that's the term that's used. If you're doing <clears throat> staff augmentation, you are probably earning more than a salaried employee, but it could end at any time. And you're not necessarily building up your expertise in one particular niche that'll make you all the more valuable next time around. So I don't think it's a terrible right. thing to do, but I think you should aim higher. Yeah, so I've told people, um, you know, along those lines, the reason I... I can go into why I personally don't think of it as a great strategy, but uh, a lot of strategies can be all right or even good, depending on what your goals are. So if you're working as an employee and you say, hey, I don't want to be an employee anymore, I see that there's this staff hog contractor a few cubes down from me that's earning twice as high an hourly rate, and I want to do that, and I don't really care about health insurance or whatever it is, um, that can be an all right strategy. But basically what you're doing, you, you know, it's maybe worth asking yourself, why are you going freelance? Because in that situation, it has a lot of the same kind of um, hallmark uh, characteristics as employment. Basically, you have one client and only one client for the foreseeable future. And if that client gets tired of you, all of your business can go away. And you're sort of back to square one, scrambling to find your next thing. That is both true of employment and contracting staff augmentation. But with contracting and staff augmentation, companies like to do that because they can fire you at a moment's notice. It's more problematic to part with an employee than it is a contractor. So you're taking on you know, almost the most risk in a sense. And so it's because of that and because of the lack of any um, you know, discernible building of skills when you're functioning in that employment role. Well, I mean, I shouldn't put it that way, but like you're not building towards anything. You're kind of doing a hodgepodge of different tasks the way an employee does. It's kind of a conveyor belt. Like you sign on, you do that for however long you're going to do it. Then the work goes away. At some point you scramble and do it all again, probably in a different vertical or something. And all of these engagements, you have to scramble periodically to find new ones. And they don't really build on each other, or build towards much of anything. You're always in the same situation. Uh, so that's in a nutshell why I advise people to look at getting away from that paradigm. Look, you can. I mean, I know that there are staffing agencies and contracting agencies and so forth. And in theory, you could sort of mitigate some of the risk by doing contracting through one of these agencies. It's more or less going to guarantee that you're going to have employment. But mm -hmm. then they're taking a cut like they've got to make money and they might be taking 50 percent of it. Indeed, when I like was running my consulting business with a bunch of people working for me, um, I took 30 to 50 percent. And it wasn't because I was a greedy pig. It was because my salary had to come from somewhere and not everyone was employed all the time and we had expenses and marketing is hard and talking to people is hard and so on and so forth. So I'm not saying they don't earn that money, but you might not earn as much as you think. That said, yep. there are people who do it and they like, if their goal is work in lots of different places, never be beholden to a company, tell the contracting company, I want to take a vacation from August 15th to October 20th, then that's, that's not a bad way to go. But again, I think you can do better with not a huge amount of additional effort. So, so let, let's let's. Are, are there any other like downsides that we should warn people about in terms of doing that sort of staff augmentation work? I, I kind of think of it as this weird in in between or indeterminate phase. I guess like if you're working for an employer. Um, there you kind of give up the idea of building a business or building equity in exchange for 
um, some form of stability. Uh, you know, philosophically, we could revisit the idea whether like wage employment is stable, but um, you go off on your own because you want to do something different or more, you know, maybe it's more money, but probably like to build a business and a practice and maybe eventually down the line to earn substantially more money or to own a business where maybe you don't have to work as much or you're building equity or something. And if you leave employment and you kind of go into this pseudo employment arrangement, you're sort of in this purgatory where you're not really working towards the kind of business that you could eventually pull out of or just be an owner of. Um, and you're not exactly building anything like you're still kind of earning a wage and you're taking everything probably out that you earn as revenue to pay yourself. So I kind of think of it as this in between phase where you're not really launching towards something bigger. Okay, well, what what about this? Uh, and and this is a bit of a sort of devil's advocate sort of thing. What if you say this is what I want to do? And by the way, I realize that we're we're going to get to a topic of how to break this in just a moment. I just figured it was worth diving into this for a little bit. But like, mm -hmm. is, is what do you think of the business model of? Well, I like doing this, but what I like doing even more is having a staffing agency, sort of like what I described. But I'll run the staffing agency and I'll find people and place them. Um, is, is is that a reasonable direction to go in? Because I know a lot of people, myself included, when I started off said, okay, so I'm doing this all right. I've got enough work. Now I'll just hire a few people and then I can really build up my business um, with a whole bunch of contractors on site in different companies. Um, I, I, so I actually run an agency and I can tell you that running an agency is substantially different. Um, so if you're out there listening and you're thinking, you know, I really like to write Ruby on Rails or, you know, whatever it is you do, and you're thinking like, okay, you know, I'll do these contract gigs and then I'll opportunistically look for one that's big, uh, too big for just me to do. And then I'll bring in subcontractors and I'll run it that way. It is pretty, you will pretty quickly run into a situation where the amount of time spent doing project acquisition and management and all these types of things absolutely eclipses the thing you went off on your own to do in the first place. So there is a path there. Um, but running an agency is an awful lot, not like what you're currently doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, when um, I, when I was in college, so that's a risk. Oh, sorry. Yeah, when I was in college, I was the editor of the student newspaper. Um, and so I would be, you know, every, we came out twice a week. And so I'd be editing the issue and I would also insist on taking the most complex story to write. And it took a, a few months for someone to come to me or several people to come to me and say, listen, you can't do this. Like you can't, it's two different things. One is editing and managing and the other is writing. And maybe you really like the writing, but you're currently the editor and the manager and you'd better be doing that. And um, I think that happens to a lot of people, uh, as you said, like when they, they, they're programming and they like programming, they're good at programming, they all run an agency and just have a bunch of people and okay, I'll have to manage a bit, but like, I'll still be able to do a ton of programming, right? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. And so if you want to run that sort of business, that's fine. But that's very different from, you know, okay, I'll tell my client that I'll only be there 30 hours a week because 10 hours a week, I'll be running my business. Uh, if you do that, then the good news is you'll have a lot of time to run your business because you won't have much of a business left. Ooh, <laughs> ooh tough, tough words. Okay. Um, so let's say you're in this situation then, which does like, happen to a lot of people when they start freelancing, right? You hang out your shingle. Someone sees it and they're like, oh, you're a Rails developer, you're a Python developer, you're whatever sort of developer. I could use that at my company. Why don't you come and work with me and you're a consultant, so we'll pay you consulting rates. And you're like, that is fantastic. And so you start working there and you're there for the first month and it's great. You're there for the second month, it's great. And you realize now you've gotten yourself into this situation where it's not bad, but it's not leading you to the path of 
um, you know, opulence or at least of like you know, independence and consulting that you want to be in. So what what can you do? What should you do then? I guess that's the that's the the core of the question we're trying to address. The first thing I would say is, you know, and I don't mean to be a little hand wavy, um, but like it's philosophical is to maybe start thinking about what's involved with running a business and specifically as it relates to like the acquisition of new clients. So I would say the first thing, <coughs> excuse me, the first thing is to recognize the situation that you're in, which is that you have one client and zero prospects and that if you want to run a successful business, typically you're going to need to have multiple clients and many prospects. Um, you need to be spending a certain amount of time anyway, uh, finding prospects a certain amount of time selling and landing those prospects. And then uh, there's kind of like a phase when you're engaged that's pretty hands-on, presumably, depending on what you're doing. And then there's kind of like post-maintenance uh, uh, that you might have of those relationships. So if you start to think of yourself as a business, I'd say that's the very first step. And to understand that what you're doing as a business is one client, zero prospects, presumably, if you've, you know, just this is your first gig out of the gate. And to start thinking through, like, what would a situation look like where that wasn't true? How can I set about making this not true? Um, and then... I think from there, you'll run up pretty hard against this idea of like, I might have to do something differently because I can't have simultaneous clients for whom I work 40 hours per week. Or I mean, maybe you could if you really didn't care about work-life balance, but, um, <laughs> you know, so that's like the first thing that you're going to hit. You're like, well, how do I have multiple clients? I can only work one 40 hour week for a client. Um, so it's kind of that recognition that you might have to start doing or thinking about things a little differently. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're, look, the good news is if you have that sort of staff augmentation gig, then you have income coming in. And so you can use that. They can be sort of, as it were, your investor in your company. And you can use that income to sort of say, okay, what direction do I want to go in? How can I make myself really valuable Probably not to this company. I should add, I, I don't know what you think, Eric. I think it's unlikely that you can go from a staff augmentation gig to a like high-powered consulting, high-paying consulting gig in the same company. I, I just think they're going to be too used to paying you a certain amount and treating you in a certain way for it to happen. But Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time consulting in companies, and um, and I say that in the sense of consulting, like I spent a lot of time doing IT management consulting, and you would see people they were engaged in these sort of indefinite labor type arrangements, often, you know, trying to pitch their services in terms of expertise and consulting. And once you've landed as a laborer at that company, it's very, very hard to then be, to try to position yourself from there as an expert. It just, that, you know, doesn't click over in the brains of management. So I think you're absolutely right. You'd be looking at doing that somewhere subsequently. So you can like start to think, okay, what do I do here? that people are always amazed by, that people always need, right? You Use that, use that staff augmentation gig to figure out, um, like of the 10 things you do, are you, what are you really best at? And not just best at like, you know, I'm best at making jokes at lunch, I'm best at like solving <laughs> certain problems. And um, you know, that, and people keep saying, wow, you, you saved us a lot of time, you saved us a lot of money, you really helped us and so forth. Um, and then say, okay, if, I'm, if that's really helpful here, 
it would probably be helpful at some other companies as well. And I would say you should start putting out some feelers and that means time and effort. It's phone calls, phone calls to people you know and say, hey, you know, I, I'm looking for, I'm looking to get more specific. I'm looking to, um, you know, sort of uh, help people with a more specific kind of problem. I'm looking to help them with X. Does your company need help with X? Um, and so start to figure out, like this is marketing research, right? This is figuring out what people will pay for. And you're not violating any sort of trust or contract or anything with your current gig in making these phone calls. I mean, you shouldn't do it when you're on the clock at the company, right? That's, I'm not trying to say, like, don't tell them, but Ruben said it was okay. All right, I'm not saying that. But um, you can definitely, you know, email, phone, whatever to find out what would be a good direction to go in. Um, and then at least you'll be like, okay, I, I can, I, you'll, you'll have a, a marketing plan. Um, and, and, and then I feel like the next step might be um, ask your current gig if you can ratchet it down a bit. Like instead of doing five days a week, maybe three or four days a week. Not everyone will be okay with that. Um, but that's both going to give you some time to then go do some other things. And it's a signal to your current gig that they don't own you. You are not a full-time employee. Um, now they might say, what? <laughs> and get rid of you. So that is a potential <laughs> danger there. And you should sort of feel it out before, before like making it final. Yeah, I think that's, um, that is a pretty good strategy to be following. Certainly. Uh, I think yeah, identifying what you're good at. And another thing I might say is like, if you're doing this sort of thing, you're probably also used to being in the wage world, I'm guessing, and thus putting together a resume. So one of the things you could do is look at, you know, anytime you've put together your resume, you probably go back and say, all right, you know, here are some of my key accomplishments. Like I set up a continuous integration, um, uh, platform for us here. Uh, I, you know, instrumented the code base with uh, unit tests to get test coverage up to X, Y, Z, et cetera. If you start thinking of what you've been doing both at previous jobs and at um, the gig that you're currently at, that list of accomplishments can sort of maybe help focus things that you're at least market testing where you're making those phone calls and saying, Hey, you know, would you, would you pay someone to come in and specifically um, do this? And I think it's important to be thinking of um, those types of things in terms of one-time accomplishments more than indefinite gigs. So if you're saying to yourself, you know, for instance, I'm really good at C Sharp and ASPMVC, and then you start making phone calls as to who is going to need that, that's another indefinite gig. And people are going to hire you to come in and be a MVC programmer. Um, Whereas if it's something like, you know, uh, constructing a custom build setup, that's a one-time thing you're selling. And I think it's important to mention that because if you're looking at how to build a book of business instead of a rotating series of indefinite clients, then you need to be doing something that is either something you accomplish over the course of, I don't know, one to four weeks and then move on, or you need to be doing something where you can juggle multiple clients at a time or you need to do something other than work 40 hour weeks. And so thinking in terms of more um, time boxed actions or 
accomplishment based actions is important because what you're going to want to sell to these future clients isn't your indefinite labor yet again you're not just looking to jump you're looking to sell them something that you can also sell to another a number of other prospects in your pipeline at the same time whether by scheduling them in series or by uh, doing them simultaneously yeah and and the good news with doing these sorts of shorter and more high-powered um, gigs is that you'll be coming in, you'll be solving a, a specific problem. They'll be hopefully delighted that you solved it, and you'll definitely be making more than you would have, say, you know, let's say it takes a day. So you'll be taking, you know, making more than you could have in a day or possibly even two of doing the staff augmentation. The downside, though, and this is part of just running the business, is you're going to need a lot more of these, right? The the, the nice thing about the doing the staff augmentation is even if they can fire you at the drop of a hat, it's probably going to be good for a few weeks or a few months at least. Heck, you can probably get away with doing it for a year even in some places. And these shorter projects, they'll be what? A day, maybe a week or two, maybe in like some cases a month or two. Um, but you will almost certainly need them. You will need many more clients and more clients means more prospects and more prospects means more marketing time. And by the way, that's why consultants make much more money, not just because they have the expertise and are solving expensive problems, but also because everyone knows or should know, or the consultant knows they're spending like, let's say uh, you, know, you do a week of work and you charge them for three weeks of work. Okay, fine. One of those weeks is nice profit because uh, you, know, you know a lot. But another one of those weeks is paying your salary while you're making lots of phone calls and sending lots of email, hoping to find the next client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking I can sort of describe a trajectory that I had um, that maybe illustrates a, a continuum of this. So I'm trying to think when I first went off on my own, my last full time role had been as a CIO and I left that um, I was making courses for Pluralsight at the time. Uh, and then I also turned my former um, employer where I was the CIO into a consulting uh, clients that you know to help the person who backfilled me get situated. So that kind of kicked off my business. And then I had some opportunities to go do hands-on coaching and training, like teaching teams in the enterprise to do things like uh, test-driven development and continuous integration. And those were pretty um, indefinite sorts of gigs. Um, there was, you know, it was kind of a mashup of this training. And then sometimes I do management consulting and I was spending a good bit of time at clients, you know, months at a time. Um, and even though it wasn't labor, I was doing consulting in the pure sense, either training or consulting, it was still kind of open-ended, which created the same situation. And what started to happen is over the course of time, um, I started to just naturally recognize the things that I was best suited to do and the things that I most enjoyed doing. And a lot of that was coming in to do a quick assessment of a team. And then eventually I built some intellectual property um, around static analyzers where I could come in and do very fast code base assessments. And in the management consulting world, you know, there you might charge anywhere from 150 to $300 an hour. So towards the tail end of that, I was making good money, um, you know, bill rates, probably 200, 250 an hour, somewhere in there. Um, but once I kind of um, started doing these assessments as a sellable offering, I divorced what I was doing from hourly work and I could charge way more for a week or two of work. And so what happens is even though, um, and I mean, I'm not doing so much of this anymore, except occasionally um, old clients will give me a call, but 
if you're doing these things for a week at a time, but you charge as much as you would have made in a month or two doing the kind of consulting you were doing before. So you can much better sustain these breaks in business where you're doing nothing but lining up your next client. So uh, it's not as if we're telling you to just do what you're doing now, except do it less frequently and spend more time looking for business. But a part of that is developing something that's more, um, uh, that's higher revenue generation, you know, that you can sell more expensively because it's specialized. All right. So, so, oh, by the way, I, I, I once a few years ago, it's not exactly the same, but um, uh, a client or a potential client in Israel asked me to come work for them on a consulting basis, um, but really doing st staff augmentation. Truth be told, they're a really cool seeming company. And uh, I, I went and saw what they were doing. I could definitely help them out. And I said, okay, this is fine, but I only want to work here three days a week. And the CTO who's doing the hiring said, really, why? And I said, well, you know, I'm a consultant. I have other clients. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, if you were to tell me that you want to spend two days a week finishing up your PhD, which I was doing at the time, then I totally get that. That's completely fine. But working for someone else at the same time as you're working for us? No, 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 that, that can't happen. I think he even made some sort of analogy like, you know, cheating on your wife with your girlfriend or something. So now wow, he, he clearly, uh, first of all, I hope his marriage is good. But second of all, I, I, um, I, I think that he didn't quite get how consulting worked. And so you might, you know, you dear listener might be in that sort of staff augmentation situation where they see you as just like all the other employees with the sole difference that you're making it, you know, your, your contract sort of as a legal thing, it's different. They don't see you as, you know, an, a high powered expert and they don't see you as someone who can go off and work for other people if you want. And that is a potentially very bad situation because as you're trying to sort of wean yourself off from them, um, they, they might really give you some pushback or just say, okay, goodbye, as this client did to me. Um, so you, you need to sort of feel things out. And we've mentioned before also, you will almost certainly want to have some sort of cushion of money before you go off on your own for real, so that if you're still looking for clients in this in-between stage, um, that then, then you'll be able to survive. Um, obviously the best is, and I've definitely met people who had this. In fact, I had this, what am I talking about? When, when, I, when I started uh, consulting, so I'd worked full-time at Time Warner in New York. And when I started consulting, they said, oh, we'll be your first client. And at no point did they care who else I was working with. And so they effectively sort of invested in my consulting company and let me find new clients. And, and I said to them, I want to work with you 20 hours a week. And that was just great as far as they were concerned. So I hope that as many of you as possible have nice clients or nice, you know, half bosses, half clients who will encourage you to do that because it really helped me a lot. Yeah, I think... Um there's going to be a spectrum of possible things that happen and it's going to depend on how you've engaged with this indefinite client. So some of them, if you've presented yourself from the beginning as a contractor and you know, if, if this is in your future, when you're talking about such an engagement, I would definitely leave open the possibility when you're talking to them that you're going to want to have other clients. So as much as you can tee that up in advance, do it. But some of them will be understanding of that and say, sure, you know, you're a consultant or you're a contractor. Or, yeah, I get that. And others, you know, will re react as Ruben laid out a little less favorably, hopefully maybe with not such dramatic references. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so you have to be prepared for sort of a variety of actions ranging from anywhere um, 
if you start to talk about wanting to accommodate another client to somebody saying, usually, sure, of course, um, to being prepared to cut ties with them. So uh, that leads me to think of how there's different, um, I guess, techniques. And yeah, the, the, the idea of having um, a runway and some cushion and security is so important. It lets you do so many things. One of which, um, like if I think of how to break out of this, you could do something very commitment device oriented, like you could give notice to your current client and say, from now on, I only take things that are either time boxed in a month or less or are uh, outcome focused and that's it. You know, So if I'm talking about an engagement and a client wants me on indefinitely, I just say no. Um, that's a lot easier to do if you have six months of income in the bank. Uh, if you need the work, you know, you're going to have to play this a little uh, closer to the vest. Uh, until maybe you've lined up like several gigs in sequence, or maybe you build something in your spare time that generates a little bit of extra income for you and you keep working at this. So the way you break out really is going to have to do a lot with your appetite for risk and how you think that your current client, uh, will react to you wanting to do other, uh, diversification activities. So, okay. So you've, um, let me think about it this way. So you've managed to get yourself, you know, sort of out of this. Um, I've found um, that you want to keep as good a relationship as possible with everyone you've worked with, certainly with clients, but even with employers. Um, and so I would say when you're feeling this out, and again, it might not be possible. Some people are just going to take this totally the wrong way and they're going to be offended or they're just going to be abrupt and say, okay, you know, clear out your, clear out your desk or whatever. Um, but I would say it's it's very much worthwhile being nice, being decent, being professional, not just because it's the nice thing to do, but um, the world might be a big place, but people know each other. It's a surprisingly interconnected place. And as a consultant, your reputation is the most important asset you have. And the knowing that you are going to honor contracts, knowing you're not going to screw people over, knowing that you're going to be, um, you know, reasonable about working with them because as a contractor you know doing the staff augmentation you're still working on projects and to say well you know what i don't have to give you notice so tomorrow i'm out of here that's going to go over very poorly even if you could so try to be nice try to once you have things lined up talk to your manager again some will be more reasonable than others but if you can talk to them include them in your plans and in your thoughts they might well come back to you one day and say, we really enjoyed working with you. Can we do that again? Now, whether you'll actually be able to get good rates from them is another question. Um, but at the very least, you'd like to be able to maybe recommend you, uh, whether it's on LinkedIn or in person, as being an expert in something. Um, you, you'd be surprised how many people talk and how many people know each other. So be, be, you know, be nice to each other. There's also nothing better for building more business for your book of business than people who like you and think well of you. So if you're in this situation now and you look to former engagements, uh, former employers, that's a great place to start looking for business and doing some of the market research that you want to shop around is to contact a former boss and say, Hey, I, you know, I've been doing these CI setups for my last few clients. Is this something you could use? And even if they say, no, I don't think I could use that, it's a good excuse to set up a phone call with somebody that's friendly to extend that market research a little bit and say, well, okay, so you couldn't 
use this? Can you tell me why? Um, what could you use? You know, I'm trying to figure out what I can offer, et cetera, et cetera. You would be amazed at how many of those types of conversations lead to business. Uh, people that think well of you, they want to help you in the future. They're, they're going to help you with engagements wherever they can. So you certainly want to be cultivating more of those people at every stop. And um, you can look to them early on to help you, uh, you know, I guess, free yourself from this cycle. Um, because you might be able to line up a few different gigs over the coming months with a few different people that are already in your Rolodex. Um, also add that um, I don't think I was involved in these sorts of uh, sort of indefinite, indefinite uh, staff augmentation engagements, but I definitely got to a point in my career where I felt like each project was sort of going and I was working with clients and I even was working with multiple clients in parallel, but there's sort of multiple clients in parallel, each sort of reaching a, sort of trudging toward the end. And when the end happened, it was half relief and half disappointment because it was never as great as we had hoped, but it was okay. Um, and that's actually when I, when I went to do my PhD uh, because someone suggested that this was a way to sort of open my head to new ideas and so forth. Uh, if anyone out there is listening and thinking about doing a PhD, talk to me first, <laughs> whether this is a good idea. Um, but uh, it definitely there definitely comes a point when it just feels like, Really, is this all there is? You know, even well, just contracting is not in and of itself a sort of recipe for amazing success or fulfillment. And so the staff augmentation stuff can be good and can pay well. But I think that if you can manage to get yourself into more interesting stuff, more specialized stuff, you will enjoy your work more as well. And you'll want to stick at it for longer and not constantly be thinking, boy, I could have just been you know, working at that company for another 52 weeks, working on a project as a contractor. I'll, um, yeah, I'll kind of piggyback onto that theme too and say that I don't want it to come off as though I think that you're doing something wrong if you leave your job and you take an open-ended contracting engagement. Uh, that's certainly something that people do. And I can't speak to everyone out there's you know needs and amount of runway and appetite for risk and all that. But I am looking at this from the other side of having been on open-ended um, engagements and then sort of iterated towards um, much more focused, higher pay, higher leverage type engagements. I'm looking back at it from the other side and seeing that life is much better, um, building businesses and equity in those businesses and growing something than it is to kind of be on this treadmill of one employment type gig after an, uh, another. And so to frame it a little bit of a different way, like leaving a salaried job and going off on your own is probably the hardest career move you can make in some senses. It's uh, terrifying. And so it's almost like to me, if you've already done that, you've taken that plunge, you've taken that big step, you might as well um, kind of keep going down that path to building something, you know, that that builds on itself, as opposed to just taking that huge step. And then sitting on the next step up kind of indefinitely. Um, but that's been my experience. Uh, I suppose yours may be different, but I do know that having a single client with nothing in the pipeline is a fairly risky situation uh, from a business owner's perspective. Um, if you're growing an agency or you're building something, I've seen you know rules of thumb that you don't want more than like 10 or 20% of your revenue for the year to come from a single client if you can help it, uh, that that's the feeling of building stability. 
and running the business that I have uh, hit subscribe, we have gotten to a point like that. And I cannot tell you what an uh, amazing relief it is to look at any given client and know if that client just decided out of nowhere to cancel their business with you, that life would go on without much problem. That uh, lets you sleep a lot better at night than thinking, what if this client I have who's 100% of my business decides that uh, they don't like me anymore or what have you? Yeah, I mean, when I when I have clients who are even like, 20%, 30% of my income. I mean, I recently had this um, where one of my large clients, uh, where I do a, a ton of training, probably they're like, I do two courses, sometimes even three courses at their place a month. Um, they called me and they said, well, you know, we were affected globally by the whole China tariff thing. Um, and so we're cutting staff and we're cutting courses. So now, I'll still have courses, you know, I'm not going bankrupt tomorrow and they're still, you know, they, they, they order enough that it's good. But um, if this were 100% of my income, I would definitely be panicking. It's 20%, maybe 30% of my income. And so I'm just sort of trying to figure out, okay, how can I do other things? How can I make up for this? Because this is not going to be the only client that has that problem or, or any problem. Um, but spreading your, your you know, risk Diversifying your risk there across different clients is one of the uh, advantages of consulting. Um, you just need to sort of treat it as that as that advantage and try to use it to your advantage. Um, yeah, I think of it as like minimizing the uh, gravity of a gut shot that you might get. So if, if you're a hit subscribe client or author out there listening, don't get me wrong, I don't want to lose clients, but it's the difference between that being like an existential crisis and a problem that you need to deal with somehow. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, right, and uh, the other thing is, look, both Eric and I have been doing this for a while. Uh, and I mean, I've learned all sorts of lessons. I've made all sorts of mistakes. You will make mistakes as well, and you will learn as well. And little by little, you'll keep getting better at it. I mean, I remember reading an, uh, an article a number of years ago. I mean, like, th things now that I'm 40 that I wish I'd known earlier. And one of them was like, we're all making it up as we go along. Once you hit 40, like you don't really suddenly become an enlightened adult who knows how the world works. Like we're all, we're all figuring it out. And the same is at least that true and probably doubly or triply true when it comes to running a business. You try, you make some mistakes, you hope the mistakes aren't fatal to the business and you improve. And so you just wanna set yourself up to constantly be doing better and finding those tough business problems uh, and figuring out how you can address more and more serious business problems, thus do better and better in terms of your business. But it's not going to happen on day one. And, uh, you know, every day will be just a little better than the previous one, hopefully. I think of um, <laughs> a lot of uh, the stronger held opinions that I have these days about, like, you know, how to, how to freelance, how to run a business, etc. I think sometimes viscerally come from wincing at me having done something that I now consider to be a mistake. And so I look back and think like there's empathy for others going through that where it's like, oh, I wish I could just, you know, let you know something that I learned the hard way via acquiring some scars. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is a long, bumpy and interesting path to get wherever you're going. All right. Any other thoughts before we move into picks? Yeah, I guess the, you know, if I had to kind of tie it all up philosophically, I'd say, um, what you're doing if you're in these open-ended kind of staff augmentation type engagements is something that's going to be comfortable and familiar to you because it looks in a lot of ways like employment. 
And so understand that it's going to require a bit of uncomfortable thinking that you're not used to doing where you're starting to wrap your head around how you could serve multiple clients in the course of a month, whether it's by having, you know, shorter duration engagements or by doing something that's lighter touch so that you can carry four or five clients, or maybe it's diversifying in some other way, like creating a product that's related to your practice and selling that. But to get out of the situation that you're in is going to require you to think differently about your freelance practice and your business in a way that you might not be used to. So understand that it's going to be weird and it's going to be uncomfortable and, you know, start with the big universe of ideas, writing them up on your whiteboard and nothing too stupid and, you know, kind of iterate towards uh, something that sounds good to you. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Eric, what you got in terms of picks for this week? Um, so I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but, um, for hit subscribe, I do a lot of the planning, um, uh, almost all these days of the planning of uh, blog posts for our clients, uh, content road mapping and such. So I know a good bit about search engine optimization and tools in that space. Now this is mostly for like Google and, and Bing and text-based search engines, but more recently, um, I've been doing some experimentation and looking at uh, YouTube as a search engine because I believe YouTube is the second biggest search engine there is. And so I'm starting to get into understanding, I guess, um, search terms on YouTube and what and how people are searching for there. And I've stumbled across this tool called TubeBuddy that lets you do some interesting keyword research and it gives you kind of, you know, how hard is it to rank for this term if you make a video and um, you know how many people are searching for it. So it helps in that sense, but it also does a whole bunch of other things for you if you make videos on YouTube, like um, uh, let's see, it helps you kind of with some best practices for videos that you're publishing and that sort of thing. So if you are a YouTube content creator or thinking of being uh, becoming a YouTube content creator, you might wanna give a look at TubeBuddy. And then the other pick I'll do is, um, we are always looking at hit subscribe for authors that want to write around uh, developer, DevOps, or ops topics. Uh, so if that is of interest to you to make a little bit of money getting your name out there writing blog posts, um, I will include the link to uh, write for hit subscribe as an author. And uh, that's it for me. Okay. So we did not coordinate this at all with the picks. Um, so TubeBuddy is exactly what I need. I'm so happy that you suggested. I just went to the website now and boy, oh boy, I'm glad you mentioned it because uh, my pick is something that I've started doing literally in the last week or two from my recording. So by the time this comes out, probably about two, three weeks. Um, so I decided to do some experimenting uh, in trying to get my name out, trying to get people to know who I am and what I do. And um, I, I decided YouTube is sort of an interesting possible channel for doing that. Uh, so I decided to do several videos a week, short videos, each one less than 10 minutes, very informal. So uh, if I make a mistake, I just sort of keep going forward with it, of going through what's called the Python standard library, which is like all the stuff that comes with Python. Now we're talking about more than 300 modules, and each of those modules has at least a dozen or so things in it. So this is a very long, very open-ended project I decided to do. Um, and I'm starting on the simple stuff, but pretty soon within the next two weeks or so, I should get into the more complex things. And part of the reason for doing this is to get my name out and that I should come up with lots of searches. Part of the reason is that I want to be able to show people a bunch of videos of what it looks like when I teach. So people will be familiar with my style. Uh, part of it is um, I see it as a potentially uh, alternative or complementary channel for advertising things. That if I can get myself a few thousands, tens of thousands, 
maybe hundreds of thousands of subscribers to my YouTube channel, then when I announce a new online course, they are going to hear about it. And it's like sort of complimentary to my mailing list. So I've been trying this out so far. Um, you know, it's not overwhelming the number of people who have been watching it, but it's still really like it's, it's only been going on for a short while. And I've been learning a ton about YouTube, which I did not know at all before. Fortunately, my 13-year-old son knows quite a bit about this stuff. So he's been helping me and is, of course, tickled pink that his you know, geezer father uh, knows nothing about the Internet. Little does he know. But fine, fine. So that, that's been fun. And you can just go to my YouTube channel uh, to take a look at the videos and what I've been doing. And um, you know, I'm sure that a year from now, if I'm still doing this, and I hope I will be, that the videos will be of higher quality and better in all sorts of different ways because I've learned a lot in the process. So that's pick number one. Uh, pick number two is um, also in the last few weeks. I've been teaching from home a lot, um, teaching people like in Europe and in the US. And so I've had some extra time in the morning. And so I've been walking a ton. And so I've been walking like 10 kilometers, 11 kilometers every morning. It takes me like an hour and a half, two hours. I am loving it, loving it, loving it. After years, like a good 10 years, um, since I was exercising in any sort of serious way, I feel great. I feel like my, my head is sort of screwed on better. So those of you who are like, well, I don't have time for it. People kept telling me, if you if you want to, you can make time for it. I'm living proof of this. I've made time for it and I feel the better, much, much better as a result. And so I encourage all of you to try it as well. And hopefully I will be able to keep this up also. Okay, there we go in terms of our picks. Eric, thanks so much as usual. Thanks to all of you for listening. And if you have suggestions, ideas for topics or for guests, we would love to hear from you. Contact us via our webpage and we will be with you next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.